It all began with a question we asked on the quiz a couple of weeks ago and then a response from one of our listeners. The question was about the famous transaction when the Dutch bought Manhattan Island from the local native tribes for $24. How do we know it was $24? And what did $24 even mean back in those days? Well, the best place to find out the history behind this remarkable real estate purchase is the Museum of the City of New York, where Steve Jaffe is the curator. Steve, welcome to the program. Good morning, Rod. And thank you very much for joining us this morning. Let's go back, shall we, before what we might call an Australia white settlement, and that's the same sort of thing in the United States as well. What was life like in the area we now know as New York prior to the arrival of Europeans? Well, prior to their arrival, um, and it was the Dutch who settled here um, after 1609 when Henry Hudson uh, led a a Dutch crew uh, up the Hudson River. Before that, we had um, our own indigenous people here, the Lenape, uh, for a long time. They were called the Lenape or Delaware Indians. Um, And for several thousand years, they had occupied uh, this part of what later became the United States, and they lived primarily as a a hunting and gathering and fishing and planting people, and they were scattered across the landscape. They used the land in in some very interesting ways we've discovered through archaeology and some scientific speculation recently that they would, uh, in a a way that was pretty sophisticated, they would burn down part of the underbrush and the forest on Manhattan Island and on western Long Island, the part of the island that became Brooklyn and uh, Queens, and for that matter, Staten Island and what became the Bronx, they would burn down large sort of swaths of the countryside in a way that then, first of all, fertilized the ash that that was produced, fertilized the land for uh, planting beans and squash and corn, what we call corn, maize, Indian corn, um, and also cleared the, the space for hunting. So you, they literally created these corridors through which deer could would be running and then they would be on either side with their bows and arrows and and spears and so on so they were using the land it was not an empty landscape by any means they surely occupied it in a way that was much more uh with, with if you will a lighter touch than the dutch did who came and carved everything up into farms in a sort of a traditional european way you know yeah. But um, they were here, and uh, you know the problem for us, of course, sadly, is that we have very few vestiges of these people that have survived. Uh, you know, there's been some archaeology that has turned up some really fascinating pottery and uh, and tools that they used, um, and huge mounds of shells of seashells along the shorelines of what became the city, and they were literally. First of all, they were eating the, sh- the shellfish, the, the clams and oysters and so on, that were abundantly here and native to the waters. They were also turning those shells into what ca- became known as wampum, small shell beads, which ultimately, when the Dutch did arrive, become a form of currency, a form of money that could be traded. The Dutch actually took it up. They took it from the, from the local Anape and turned it into a money supply that then could be traded for um, beaver and otter furs, which were the reason the Dutch really settled here, was to exploit the local fur 
furs-bearing animals because you could um, ship the furs, the pelts, back to Europe where they were made into very uh, high-end, elegant uh, uh, fur hats and garments and so forth, and it was really lucrative. So mm-hmm. the Dutch are using these shells to buy basically fur pelts from the Indians. Okay. Um, and and so, so there's an economy here, very you know, very right. early after, okay. after in the in the 1600s. Can I ask though, how many people were living there prior to the arrival of the Dutch, and yes. were they living there because it is on the coast? So obviously that seafood you're talking about, it's uh, yes. at the confluence of two rivers as well, the East right. River and the Hudson River, and that is generally where people settle as well for fresh water. Is that why they were living there? Was it a, a large community? That's the speculation. The community was not large by our standards, and and I have to say, first of all, um, you know, the the archaeologists and scientists and historians who have tried to study this come up with very very round numbers because we just don't know. Um, they have found burial grounds and so forth, but the speculation is that it was only within the area which now is New York City, the five boroughs of New York City. There were probably only about three or four thousand Amunap. People at any given time. These were my, as you as you put it, Rod. They very much gravitated towards the coast, but they were migratory people. They apparently uh, followed a seasonal migratory um, kind of cycle where they would migrate from the water into the land, uh, you know, at, at harvest time um, and planting time, this kind of thing. But um, the larger group, the Lenape, the Algonquin, and Delaware Indians, who actually shared, they shared a basic language, not the same language, but similar language and culture with probably 15 or 20,000 other native people who lived in the area around what is New York City, if you follow me. In other yeah. words, you know, greater New York State, southern New York State, New Jersey, part of Pennsylvania. So they're occupying the land in a way which, when the Europeans get here, feels that they're maybe underutilizing right. the land. But, but the land... European bias. Yeah, that's right. That's the way the Europeans look at it, I'm sure. But as yes. you say, the the people, the tribes who are living there, weren't necessarily set up there on a consistent basis. They stayed there seasonally. They moved up and down, I presume, searching for food. And then when yes. the Dutch arrive, they aren't necessarily looking to settle. They're looking to trade. They're looking to trade um, the Dutch. Yes, that's true. But the Dutch very quickly decide by the mid-1620s that, they, that in order to trade and in order to acquire the furs, and also, incidentally, to perhaps keep the English, the Spanish, the French, the Portuguese, anybody else out of the region, that they need a fort and they need a village. They need a place that becomes kind of the, the collection point before you, uh, you, you ship all these furs across the Atlantic. You need a little base you know, of operations and a trading post. And that's what becomes New York City at, at, at the southern tip of Manhattan. They call it New Amsterdam. Even though they come for trade and have their own sort of mobility in all of this, right, ranging back and forth up the Hudson River and on Long Island looking for furs or looking for Indians to trade with, they bring European ideas with them about how you use the land, how you, if you are going to put even just a little trading post here, well, how are these people going to eat? Are are European settlers, how are they going to eat? And for that matter, the enslaved Africans who they bring to, to this place. You need farms, you need the Indians, yes, you can buy corn and meat and so on from the Indians, 
but um, maybe we should set up some, as Europeans, set up some European uh, traditional farming here as well, which is precisely what happens near the town of New Amsterdam, up Manhattan Island, which is still woods and swamps and so forth. In this period, you have the Dutch settlers, um, you know, staking out territory mm -hmm. in a traditional European way and, uh, and planting, uh, you know, wheat, uh, rye, um, in some cases even tobacco. Um, and so very quickly you have this landscape beginning to be transformed from a much more sort of loosely used land and waterscape that the Lenape range back and forth upon to this much more European style of here's, here's the town, right? And radiating out from the town are all of these farm plots with very specific uh, boundary lines around them, property okay. lines, you know, yeah. distinguish one farm from the Sure. So at yeah. that time, were there encounters between the two civilizations. Um, yeah. Was it generally friendly or were there skirmishes? Uh, was it uh, yeah. something that pretty soon the Europeans were flexing their um, muscle against the, the locals? Yes, exactly. You, you've, you've, uh, you've, you've put your finger on it. And, and in a way, it's sort of all of the above in that there were amicable trade relations. There were even um, children born of encounters between um, Dutch men and Lenape women. There are a kind of very peaceful exchange of goods. But the larger question of um, the, the relationship, it does turn sour, unfortunately. And, and uh, as has been so often the case, tragically, in world history, um, competition over the land as these Dutch farmers keep arriving you know, on ships and uh, from, from the homeland and start settling the area around the town of New Amsterdam, there are, there's friction over land. There's friction over, uh, over trade sometimes. The Dutch also introduced Lenape to alcohol, and that always seems to be a toxic ingredient in, in, yep. um, in the encounter. So long story short here is that by the 1640s, um, there are these awful uh, wars here uh, between the Dutch and the Indians, which take on a very ugly genocidal uh, a quality yeah. after all of this trade and complexity of the relationship the guy who's running the colony here from from the town uh, the governor Kieft uh, put installed by the Dutch West India Company which is running the show here um, makes war on the Indians because he feels they're not uh, they're not being orderly enough and not uh, deferential enough mm -hmm. And to the Dutch, and so there are these awful wars that involve uh, the Dutch literally slaughtering uh, uh, Lenape men, women, and children. The the Lenape retaliate by burning some of these outlying farms, and it's just a, it's a terrible mess actually. And what ends up happening is that um, between the war and eventually there's a truce, you know, and 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 there's a set of peace terms, um, and the one of the Lenape leaders, there's this eloquent, amazing statement that was recorded by one of the Dutch at the end of these wars where the Lenape leader says to the Dutch, he says, look, when you came here at first, we gave you corn and fish, we kept you from starving, and this is our reward now that we are being driven into this sort of subservient, submissive 
mm. position where you've slaughtered our people. What ends up happening is that uh, the, the, the other devastating thing, as is often the case, again, in world history, is epidemic disease, yeah. right? So the Europeans bring diseases that the Lenape have no immunities to, and so there's mass death from that. The surviving Lenape, after these wars and these disease epidemics, by and large, basically sell their land to the Dutch and move away. Okay. Now, I'll get to, I want to get to that in a second. Sure. What you're saying is really the history of colonial Australia as well. And one of exactly, the things yes. about that is, of course, the Aboriginals didn't really have this concept of ownership of land the way that, say, Westerners do or right. did at that time. So when it came to, quote-unquote, sell or buy Manhattan Island from the local tribes, did right. they even know what that transaction was about? And when did that happen? And how was that arranged? And why is this amount $24? Why does that sort of echo down the uh, the ages? Yeah, right, right, right. Well, this is one of our great New York City myths, right, is that, that uh, almost everybody knows that allegedly uh, the Dutch, uh, when they arrived here, uh, made one of the great real estate deals of all time uh, in that they were able to persuade the local Indians on Manhattan Island itself. And this is, this is early on, actually. This is 1626, only two years after the first Dutch settlers really arrived to settle here. But that the Dutch uh, offer what ends up being 60 guilders in Dutch money worth of trinkets and, you know, shiny objects and so forth to the local Indians to sell the enti- in exchange for the entire island and that the Indians say, okay. Um, and at some point in the 19th century, a historian tried to do a calculation where he said, well, 60 guilders, you know, would be how much money? And so he concluded it was about $24. And, you know, more recent historians said, well, if you look at it, it's really a couple thousand dollars maybe in, in, in value. Um, but the, the, the real point, you, you put your finger on it again, Rod, is that um, the, the, the Native people of Lenape did not have this concept of private property. They did not draw boundary lines, you know, around a piece of land and say, okay, this is this is yours and not mine, or mine and, and not yours. And so the whole concept was alien to them. And what we don't know, uh, we don't know enough about this transaction really, because there's only really one surviving Dutch document about it. What the historians have speculated in recent years is that. Um, because Lenape did not understand the transaction as, okay, you know, we're going to get these tools and trinkets in exchange for handing over this entire island, they thought it was some kind of land sharing. And they probably saw it as some kind of, um, uh, in the context of some kind of a larger treaty or alliance with the Dutch, that it had a symbolic value as, okay, well, they're giving us these gifts, uh, we are sharing this island with them, but meanwhile, um, we are sort of bonding together as two peoples who can trade and also maybe have an alliance against other Indians who are hostile to us, you know, up the Hudson River, that kind of thing. That it's not so simple as sort of naive, you know, savages um, um, trading, you know, this huge piece of land for a handful of, of, ob- of little objects. Um, the other point that's made about it, of course, on the other hand, the Dutch didn't know that this was going to become, you know, this notion of the Dutch sort of uh, pulled the wool over the Indians' eyes and bought New York City. Well, it wasn't New York City yet. 
it was a piece of land which they had no particular reason to value over any other piece of land except that it was strategically, as you said, between these two rivers and on the coast. And they didn't know it was going to become one of the great world cities. So, you know, they weren't, they weren't um, being devious in that regard. Um, the other point that's been made that's really interesting is we think of these, basically the Dutch were, what they gave to the Indians apparently were some hatchets, some mirrors, uh, maybe some cloth, some brass kettles. If you were a Lenape in 1626 who's never encountered these kinds of goods before, or, or you've encountered them fleetingly because, there have been, because the Dutch have been here for a couple of years already and so on, so you begin to value them. These are amazing tools. Um, and in fact, they would use the, they had pottery, they had their own bowls and buckets and so forth that they made, they crafted, had been doing so for thousands of years. When they got the brass kettle from the Dutch, they often carved it up into um, arrowheads because they valued metal um, projectile points as weapons and as hunting uh, um, tools once they acquired them from the Dutch. So the whole question of relative value, of the understanding of what's really going on in that, in that uh, transaction is, is seemingly much more complex and maybe much more interesting, actually, sure. than just the notion that, you know, 24 bucks uh, <laughs> what. Uh, but like one of the most valuable islands, perhaps the most valuable island in the world. Steve Jaffe is our guest curator at the Museum of the City of New York. When did this happen, round about what year, and then how soon before the British arrived? 1609 is the year Henry Hudson, sailing for the Dutch, um, lands here and claims the territory for the Dutch, for the, for the Dutch West India Company. Um, the main encounter with the Indians really happened in the 1620s, 30s, and 40s. And then in 1664, Charles II of England uh, sends, uh, and really his, his brother, uh, James, the Duke of York, hence New York, uh, sends over a small flotilla of vessels to seize um, Manhattan Island uh, from the Dutch. This is in the context of the simmering uh, on-again, off-again wars between the Dutch and the English in the North Atlantic and really around the world, you know, in the 1600s. And so they make a decision. London makes the decision that they want to basically kick the Dutch out of uh, what the Dutch call New Netherland because they look at the map and they see that, wait, well, we have New England already uh, to the north of this and we have Virginia and Maryland to the south of this. Why do we need the Dutch in the middle? We want the whole coast. And so they send this uh, fleet over that uh, basically forces the Dutch to give up without firing a shot. And so from 1664, uh, New Amsterdam becomes uh, New York City. And so that's the beginning of the English right. period, which then lasts for basically another 120 years, yeah. years till the end of the American Revolution. Rather ironically, of course, um, that period of the Stuarts, the James and Charles were succeeded by William and Mary, two Dutch monarchs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So things come full circle in an interesting way. Um, and that was, New York ended up being, in that period of William and Mary, um, New York at that point is already becoming the kind of multi-ethnic, um, multi-language place that we think we, we've thought of it as being ever since, in that 
you have, after 1664, a growing English immigrant population in the city. You have Irish and Scots. You have the older Dutch population by and large remains. They stay. They don't go back to Holland when the British take over. You have French Huguenots, uh, you know, French Protestants. You have a small Jewish population, the first permanent Jewish uh, community in North America. You have uh, Mennonites, you have Lutherans, you have Germans. And, and so you've got this sort of Dutch, French, English, Jewish, German uh, place. And, and it, it seems to be in accord very much with the glorious revolution in England in a certain sense, and that now you have a Dutch monarch in England um, and uh, sort of reflecting that sort of hybrid uh, thing going on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. So then, by the time of the Revolutionary War, so in the late 1770s, around about the time that Captain Cook had come out to Australia in 1770, right. and so already the um, George the Third was looking for other lands to conquer yeah. because he knew that uh, the colonies were going to be yeah. lost. Perhaps. Um, how many right. people were living in New York, and how big was the city? How far up? Yeah town, you might say, right. did it extend of what we know now? Yes, yes. Well, first I wanted to address the, the other interesting connection, of course, is that it's the loss of the colonies as a sort of... Um, um, dumping ground for convicts? Dumping, yes, exactly, of course, which, which raises Botany Bay, right? Yep. Um, because there has to be somewhere else, and you can't... And New York did take some of those convicts, so the, most of them originally went to Virginia and Maryland, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but anyway, they were needed for, 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 you know, uh, for farm labor, and basically they're laboring alongside the, the enslaved Africans. But anyway, that's a, that's a digression. Um, your point about um, the city in this period... Okay, so in the 1770s, New York is a town of about 25,000 people. It is uh, second to Philadelphia, which is somewhat larger. And uh, the, the, the comparative point here, of course, is that this is an era in which London, the world's, at this point the world's largest city, has about uh, 750,000 people, and it's it, you know increasing towards the one million mark. So we're talking about uh, with 25,000 people, New York City is a pretty tiny place. Um, and in fact, in the 18th century, it still very much is uh, concentrated at the tip of Manhattan Island, Lower Manhattan, what we think of as the Wall Street business district, and so on. Today was the core of the city. It was where the port was because the island came to a tip and you then had both the Hudson and East Rivers coming together. It was a good place for, tr for actually having your piers and docks and so forth. Um, and so the city grew from that point northward up the length of Manhattan Island. By the time of the Revolution, it's still pretty much um, Lower Manhattan. Greenwich Village and some of these outlying areas are, are still separate from the city itself. They're kind of rural suburbs. And it's only in the 19th century as immigration in, in the United States period where immigration really continues and increases, and you have all of these thousands and hundreds of thousands of people flowing into Manhattan from Europe that the city starts moving uptown and also starts expanding out into Brooklyn and some of the end on the New Jersey side of the Hudson River. And you start getting something you can actually call a metropolitan or, or urban right. region, you know, uh, spreading out. But um, the, 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 the basic history of Manhattan is from south to north, the progression goes, so that 
uh, upper Manhattan isn't really even urbanized until the very late 19th and early 20th centuries. Remarkable. Into the, yeah, into the period of the subways, you know. So, and that's actually um, one of the themes that we're developing in a big exhibition here at the museum that I want your listeners to know about, um, which is going to be opening this November called New York at its core, which is going to be covering, and we're very excited, it's a, it's a project that's been in the works for a few years. It's going to take over the entire first floor of the museum and be a multifaceted exhibition about the entire history and present and future of the city from 1609 with the, the Dutch Lenape encounter we've been discussing all the way up through um, a part of the exhibition we call the Future City Lab, which will encourage um, visitors to grapple with questions about the near-term future of the city. What does climate change mean for the city? What does income inequality mean for the city? And various other questions. Okay. But we really are an institution, past, present, and future of the city. And so I encourage your your listeners who may be uh, heading in this direction in November or really any time thereafter to please drop by and see us. Uh, but that's, um, that's by way of saying that um, this history, which is quite fascinating, um, is something that we're devoted and dedicated to sharing with the public here. And the Museum of the City of New York is round about Fifth Avenue and 103rd Street, so it's kind of along that museum mile, a little bit further north, but right on Central Park there. And again, a fabulous place to visit. And Steve Jaffe, thank you so much for telling us about that crucial time in New York City history. Anytime, Rod. My pleasure. And that is Steve Jaffe, curator at the Museum of the City of New York.